Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of the greater Cincinnati area. And today we're going to be talking about inspecting, I suppose you call this maybe a starter home, a three bedroom, two bath house that is built in 1956, about 1600 square feet. Cape Cod style, has that typical little front porch going in, and has a detached garage that is a two-car garage actually, pretty big, and the there's several things about this house that make it somewhat unique. Um, one is that in this day and age, of especially in the greater Cincinnati market, you end up with situations where you have inspected a house recently and then you end up inspecting it again if the first time you inspected it that the there were some findings that the buyer was not satisfied with or because in this market the sellers don't feel like they need to fix anything so they just say the heck with you We'll sell it to the next person. No, we ain't fixing anything. So that's probably what happened in this case. Um, And then there are other times where we inspect a house for a relocation company. And then the uh, relocation company gets their report. They have the homeowner fix a certain number of things. And then the house goes back, not back on the market, but it goes on the market. And then it is quite possible with full disclosure, of course, that down the road, because we, well, we're decently successful or very successful homeowner, excuse me, home, home inspection company that we end up being selected by the future buyer to inspect the house. Of course, we do full disclosure and uh, most times, now actually, I don't remember a single time where the buyer second time around did not Uh, like us inspecting it because we had inspected it previously and we always make sure we send the uh, different inspector on it and uh, for this particular house I believe it was a relocation so um, some things about this house uh, that we found somewhat unique Um, on the left side there was a French drain put in that had uh, the typical riprap gravel um, on the on the left side with a very visible drain and that's because the neighbor's driveway was three feet above it so water wants to run downhill towards the house so we definitely paid a lot of attention to that side of the house in the basement and I will I will address that as we get further in this podcast so tuck that away for future future discussion the roof was probably mm, four to six years old it was a dimensional shingle fiberglass roof meant to last 25 some people say 30 i'm not particularly sold on that 30 thing and i don't know many people that take it all the way to the 30 because there are different grades of shingles um, that that are in that category and they're all called the same thing 25 to 30 but 
Not all of them are made the same high quality, so we'll just say that. This this appeared to be a good quality shingle, however. They also, this was really nice to see, the uh, mortar cap was brand new on the top of the chimney. And then on top of the mortar cap, you had another Cadillac put up there, which was a couple of metal chimney caps. So they did, they did the full pull on this one. And then uh, also, <clears throat> there was new flashing around the chimney. So that was all good. And that was properly done, what's called inlet, where they put it in the mortar instead of just caulking and get it against the mortar and against the bricks. It was actually put into the mortar properly. So um, that would be counter flashing. So those were really pluses. So the roof, top down, really good stuff. Good stuff. Um, the detached garage also inspected quite well. It was built into a hill coming towards the house and they made sure that the foundation walls were built tall enough that the concrete of the foundation walls was all the way covering and up to the height of the uh, soil. And then the first row of brick on top of that was well above, several inches above the bottom of the uh, foundation wall there. So that was done properly. And this garage was probably put in the 1960s, perhaps, I would think. Somewhere around then. It, it appeared to be newer construction. It did have plywood and um, uh, uh, engineered trusses for the, for the roof, but the plywood to give away that it definitely predated using oriented strand board, which is OSB. So we know that that garage is at least going to be older than, let's say, 1970-ish. That's when they started using that stuff. Okay, outside too. Um, the air conditioner. So the air conditioner turned out to be 22 years old. While it cooled marginally okay, um, it is 22 years old. The average lifespan of such compressors is 15 to 20. So it's a little bit beyond the typical time of replacement but it still hit that 15 degree mark of the difference between the supply and the demanded air, or returned air, I should say. How do you, how do you look at that then? Oh, we'll just get a warranty and it'll cover everything. No, warranties, you gotta read the fine print. First of all, all warranties are not equal, okay? If, some, if the warranty is $500 a year and one is $750, there's a difference between that and there's a reason for that. So you do have to read the fine print. Some require you have an initial servicing. Some are only going to prorate appliances. So if it is beyond 20 years, you're probably gonna get zip, zilt, zero if, uh, <clears throat> if it needs to be replaced. But they, most of these companies do really want to service these things um, as long as possible. Uh, and that usually is included with maybe some service charge, but so that's something you want to think about. So we definitely called out for further valuation, not because we're not doing our job, but because that is our job. We found the age of the unit. We took a temperature reading. We looked at the physical condition of it. It needed new insulation around the uh, insulation, the, the suction line for the coolant line for the AC. That's another thing it needed. Um, but the fact that it's 22 tells us we definitely need to get 
an HVAC contractor out there when? Prior to closing. When? Prior to closing. When? Prior to closing. Buy a qualified HVAC contractor to have further valuation with repairs and or replacements as needed because it may need to be replaced if they're not able to get it to cool any better than it is and that person can tell you pretty much how much more life is left in that unit. All right, so we've covered that well. Um, Other things on the outside, really didn't see any foundation cracks on the outside, okay? So tuck that away because I want to talk about the basement um, when we get there. So we'll be talking about that in just a couple minutes. The rest of the house, typical things that we see with, uh, with a house of this age. Evidence of a previous tax carpet tax strip around all sides uh, of the floor and a, a couple of razor knife marks on the floor. How do I know about razor knife marks, exacto knives on the floor? Well, because when I removed my carpet, I was a little aggressive to start with too, and I did make one mark. I made one because I noticed it, and then I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that again. So you got kind of got to pull the carpet up, cut through the carpet instead of onto the hard floor. And if you have a brand new blade, which you should be using, you really have to be careful not to cut into the floor. Um, <clears throat> now, the other thing that was not on the floor, and they sanded them down, refinished them, and so forth, and that's all well and good, but they didn't put any cove or shoe molding around the quarter, either quarter round or cove. I prefer cove. I think it just looks better. Around the perimeter of the floor against the baseboard molding, so you did have some gaps from the hardwood floor pieces, tongue and groove, which is always going to be, in this case, for this age house, it's generally going to be the standard red oak tongue and groove two and a quarter. If you're back in the 1920s and 30s, you're probably going to have the two inch, which actually is a little bit thinner also. It's not as uh, robust, Uh, a little bit more decorative, and there's a lot more artistic things that they did with it, the concentric squares and Uh, woven corners, um, things of that nature. So, all right, I I digress. But back to the carpet strip. So you have that carpet strip where you have those little nail holes around the perimeter. And sometimes with that quarter round uh, molding, you can hide some of that as well. Not all of it, but you can hide some of it. And that really looks good with the uh, cove molding, but that's a personal opinion. I'd rather have the the molding, the shoe molding there, uh, rather than the gaps. So that kind of takes care of itself. In this particular house, um, and and houses of this age and older, to avoid the lead paint dust and chips and flakes, having the windows replaced by the vinyl or just replacement windows helps seal that area, which is prominent to have the powder from the original metal or wood um, single pane very energy inefficient windows so that's one way people are concerned about lead paint but if you keep everything well painted okay well sealed you're not going to have that that dust reminiscent of that one client brought up an interesting point he said what if i drill into the walls to pre-drill to hang pictures and so forth aren't i creating a whole lot of lead paint dust 
you're creating a minute amount, but yes, that is something that you, that I hadn't really thought about that. And I, I've drilled dozens of holes in my wall at my house, hanging things on the walls. So perhaps if you get some of those blue shop towels from uh, 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 Menards or from uh, Home Depot or, uh, or CarQuest, AutoZone, whatever, and you, you dampen one, you, you know, get it, get it wet and then squeeze out the excess water, put it around the, uh, the drill bit that you're drilling and, and, the, and the dust will be caught into that little towel um, while you're doing that. And that, that, that probably is a good way to capture that dust to make it more safe. Um, so anyway, I thought of that on the fly and I told the customer that and I'm going to keep using that. I'm pretty sure in theory it will work. So um, keeping everything well painted. Um, some other things reminiscent of houses this age, you're not going to be into the uh, vermiculite insulation area until the 1960s and 70s, which is the asbestos-based cat litter, shiny cat litter-looking insulation. But this house did have, in, in the very upper above the, the two upstairs bedrooms, which are underneath the roof in the Cape Cod-style house, you have the upper attic, which is a very tiny space, and I popped the cover up and looked, and lo and behold, they had blown in um, about 12 to 14 inches of cellulose insulation, giving you a lot of good insulation and making the house a lot more energy efficient. Because in a house from 1956, full brick, structural brick house, you're not going to have insulation in the walls unless you were to see the drill marks from the outside or from the inside where they have blown in insulation into the walls. So um, you can have that done. It is going to cost you, but it's, it's money well spent. Um, but if you insulate at least the upper attic, stopping hot air from rising and, and disappearing into the attic is, is always a good thing. <clears throat> so I was happy to see that. Actually surprised to see that because that's a very rare thing where people do add the insulation in the attic uh, of that regard. So um, let's move on to a few other things that you see with houses from the 50s, one of which would be outlets. Outlets, a lot of them being two-prong. When you have a two-prong outlet, just a reminder, that's going to be ungrounded. Where do ungrounded outlets matter? Well, pretty much everywhere, but they really, really matter at water sources. Bathroom countertops, kitchen countertops, laundry tub area. Even putting them outside for GFCI receptacles is a good thing. That makes them safe. Now, ungrounded outlets also can be three-pronged. What? But the third hole is supposed to be for the ground wire, wire, right, Richard? Yes, it is. But a lot of times, some unsavory electricians do what's called jumping the neutral, and they give it a false ground, which really continues to run the electric, um, and it is not going to protect you in, a, in an electrocution situation. So properly grounding them or using GFCI receptacles in a proper way that a licensed electrician will just figure out or uh, GFCI breakers in the panel if the panel can, ac can accommodate them is a way to make your outlets safe that are ungrounded so um, in this particular house 
it would be a good thing in the future or, or in the near future, I should say, to have a licensed electrician figure out which outlets are the home run outlets. Those are the first fed off of that particular 15 or 20 amp breaker. Home run is the first outlet fed in a serial, which is one right after the other downstream, um, configuration. So if, if a GFCI breaker trips or if a GFCI receptacle, which would be the outlet fed in that configuration, if that tripped in a surge, that would shut off all the outlets downstream from it. Okay. I actually had this done at my house, so I'm not telling you anything that I haven't had done myself. By who? By a licensed electrician. I did mine after closing. Um, Sometimes in the right marketplace, in the right uh, housing market, you can ask for such things. But in a seller's market like we're in right now, uh, they're going to laugh at you if you ask for that. And they'll move on to the next buyer. So um, just letting you know, your realtor that you're working with, and, and I'm speaking to the realtors out there now, hey, you guys do a good job. That's what you're there for, to negotiate for these things. Um, you're there to guide your client into their expectations as well, which our company does try to manage expectations. You're not going to get everything you ask for. It doesn't work like that. And your realtor and those good realtors do manage their client's expectations so they know what types of things to ask for and what things to just, no, 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 don't don't broach that topic. Don't ask for those things. You're just going to piss off the seller. So... <clears throat> You have to manage expectations. All right, so I've covered the outlets. I've covered uh, a couple of things that we see reminiscent of houses from the 50s in, in like a starter home Cape Cod style house. Some other things that, that you may see, you may see some galvanized steel water pipe, possibly. Um, you may see also um, some, <clears throat> I've talked about the outlets, but in the bathrooms, you definitely need to put the GFCI receptacles there to make those outlets safe. But, but Richard, what if it's a two-prong outlet? Can you put a GFCI receptacle on a two-prong outlet that would still be grounded? Yes, but believe it or not, the GFCI receptacle trips off of the neutral wire, not the ground wire. That may be a little more technical than people want to hear regardless, but broach that topic with your electrician. They will know how to handle that, and they will educate you on how that works, and maybe more than you want to hear, but that is how to fix that. All right, Um, kitchens, things to think about with your stove and with your, if you have a gas stove, uh, you really want to have an exteriorly vented fan. Why exterior? Because the oil droplets, if you're cooking and the other stuff, is just going to stick to surfaces your recirculating fan for your microwave that you have there is just going to get all clogged up and people really don't remember to pull that that filter out and stick it in the dishwasher maybe once a week or every month at least and it just gets all clogged up and and your fan running for your microwave is not going to do anything okay now a lot of um a lot of clients uh who cook in various ways let's say clients who cook with woks Um, those are going to create a lot of oil droplets that really need a strong fan to really suck that stuff and blow it out the side of the house or up to the roof and out of through the attic up through the roof 
you really want to have an exteriorly vented fan. So that's something you may want to consult with a qualified contractor technician to figure out the best way to do that. Some microwaves can accompany an externally vented uh, flue for that, and and we've seen that. Others, you may want to just put a, a dedicated exhaust fan that does go maybe above your soffits and your cabinets, and then it turns left or right and goes out the side of the house. If you have a sided house that's not brick, it's a heck of a lot easier to put in that fan. If you have one that's brick, that's a little more tricky, and you may want to go through the um, the roof for that. So there's no easy way, um, but it does need to be researched if you don't have an externally vented fan, and you are going to be needing one with a gas stove, <clears throat> especially especially if you cook some some good food uh, like like with a walker or or other things that get very hot that create um, oil droplets and so forth. Those do tend to clog up some filters, so you really want that to go outside. All right, um, so let's, uh, we've talked about the attic, we've talked about the outlets and other things that are reminiscent of houses this age. Let's now approach the basement. So we're going down the steps to the basement, and the basement has an unfinished concrete floor with a couple little micro, typical hairline cracks that really don't amount to anything. We see the the uh, I-beam, looks like it's nice and solidly uh, flush with the foundation wall. We don't see any leaning on the columns. They appear to be welded, uh, TIG welded or MIG welded to the I-beam, which is great. Um, but we see on the left side, we see a couple of cracks. What, what kind of cracks are these? These are corner cracks off of the basement windows. And they're hairline cracks. There may be an eighth maybe three sixteenths of an inch wide but this is the side that has that french drain outside and wow glory be how about the fact that we don't have any stains on the floor and at the time of the inspection we just had a heavy rain the previous day and this house is vacant so nobody's there cleaning stuff up and trying to hide it so what's going on well it looks like the french drain's working and it looks like over time these these cracks appear to not even be weeping because you look in the bottom there's not even any little phantom little circle that you know it may be a little tiny powderized mineral deposit or something that shows reminiscent of a, of a pool pooled water that has evaporated and left a precipitate behind which might be the crystallized or mineral deposit so that tells me that these two cracks if somebody wanted to have these maybe epoxy filled, that would probably be a good way to go. Um, and I'm uh, just full disclosure, I have had two, ha- two cracks epoxy filled in my house 19 years ago, and they have not changed, they have not uh, opened, they have not done anything. In fact, there are some, some reports that epoxy ends up being stronger than concrete in a lot of ways. Now, I know there's tensile strength and compression strength, and those are two different things. And those structural engineers, civil engineers, and other, other people uh, hearing this may know more about that than me, why epoxy in one way is stronger than concrete, maybe not in all ways. Probably not in compression. I would say no, uh, but maybe in, in, in pulling it apart, tensile strength, it probably is stronger than concrete. So... Um, 
that being said, on the back of the house, the back of the house, okay, there was a horizontal crack that was about eight to ten feet long. Hairline, neither, however, horizontal cracks are points of failure on the wall. So the backyard where the air conditioner is, that, the grading looked fine, meaning it looks like maybe they've added topsoil in the distant past, and we also had, um, didn't see any offset on the wall. In other words, we didn't see it was bowing, and with a four-foot level, it was still perfectly plumb, perpendicular, no no gap going on there. Um, and uh, But because it is a horizontal crack, it really doesn't matter the width of it. We really have to call out for a licensed structural engineer. When? Prior to closing, prior to closing, prior to closing. You don't do these things after closing. That's when you get in trouble and you go, oh, no, now I've got a $10,000 repair, blah, blah, blah. So you do these things before closing. Now, I had mentioned that this house was also in a relocation scenario. So we asked the listing agent if there was any previous uh, structural engineer's report, and they said yes. Now, this one... The structural engineer's report that was given was from 10 years ago, which really seems somewhat odd. Um, You would hope that you would have something more recent than 10 years because, yeah, things do change in 10 years. So the client, our buyer, is definitely getting their own licensed structural engineer before closing. Why? Well, because they want to sleep well at night. I mean... You want to know if you're buying a house that if you do have that horizontal crack and you had a report from 10 years ago saying it wasn't a problem, then you want hopefully that that person's going to say the same thing and then hopefully recommend maybe epoxy filling it as well. Then that would be a way to to give it some more strength. But horizontal cracks are a tricky nut and you do need to rely on not the... Not the uh, home inspector but rather the licensed structural engineer to tell you what the best approach to that may be it might be do nothing it might be epoxy fill it might be install i-beams by a qualified contractor so it could be anywhere in between and 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 if they say that the drainage outside is fine it looks it appears to be that water's draining away from the house and is draining towards that french drain at the left rear corner and water's evacuating well and it's not causing the foundation to get pushed on anymore because the water's being taken out of the yard before the clay soil absorbs it hopefully you're following me when i'm saying that when soil expands because it absorbs water it pushes it pushes out and one of those areas it gets pushed on is the rear foundation wall so that's how those external static forces get pushed onto the house hydrostatic i'm sorry that's the word i meant and so um, that all is being handled in that way. And that's the best way to handle that, to put that stuff in the report, to tell the client. And, and as home inspectors, we have a fiduciary duty to look out for the client's best interest. That is redundant. That is what fiduciary means, to look out for best interests. All right. Next topic and the last topic, I'm just going to say that the electrical panel was a 200-amp panel and everything had been pretty much updated, replaced. Brand new Square D 200 amp panel. In the garage, it had a, it had 40 amp breaker total on a 70 amp sub panel. 
that was all handled fine and, and electric looked fine out there. Water heater was fine as well. Um, newish water heater, like four years old. So the last thing I want to talk about is the furnace. The furnace was 66 years original. Wow, that needs replaced. Mm, that's a tough nut. <clears throat> so how do you have a 66-year-old furnace? It's still going. And it is uh, it has electronic ignition because when we pulled the cover off, we could see that there was a lot of new parts inside. It's not a match light type furnace anymore, but it was adapted. Uh, <clears throat> um, it was adapted to retrofitted for electrostatic ignition, which is to say can turn on with the thermostat changing to the heat setting. So what do you do with a 66-year-old furnace? Well, first of all, not all 66-year-old furnaces are alike. If you had a furnace made today, fast forward into the future 66 years, that probably would have had to have been replaced three times, two times, the original one, plus two replacements. Um, a 66-year-old furnace of Luxair brand or Williamson brand or, let's say, York. There might be others, and I'm, <clears throat> I hope I'm not offending somebody's favorite brands that have an old 66-year-old font and, and uh, brazed-on or riveted-on um, logo uh, on the front of it, but... It's not that a furnace, typically gas-fired furnace, lasts 25 to 30 years, or excuse me, 20 to 25 years. A ACs, 15 to 20, gas-fired furnaces of this era, um, meaning new, newish, are 20 to 25-year appliances. Take advantage of that five-year overlap. Don't let somebody talk you into both of them having to be replaced at the same time. Generally speaking, that's not the case. Um, you, you really shouldn't have to replace them both at the same time. I digress. Back to the 66-year-old Luxair 125,000 BTU furnace. For a house of that small size, for a more modern furnace, you'd probably have a 60,000 BTU furnace, probably be high efficiency, 90 plus, so to speak, but this is a 125,000 BTU furnace on a very low efficiency furnace that is still working and working well. And it, with the right furnace contractor, it's not how long is it going to last, but more like how long do you want it to last. You probably could shoot that furnace 10 times with a Clint Eastwood 44 Magnum make my day kind of a handgun and it would still probably run. You could probably hit it with a sledgehammer 10 times and it'd still run. You'd be deaf, but in either one of those cases, the furnace would still be running and you'd be deaf. So, it, but the drawback on these furnaces is they're very energy inefficient. You're probably only 50 to 60% efficient, 60 at the high point. So you're throwing away 40 to 50% of the natural gas that you are bringing into the house, but on a sunk cost basis, a capital outlay for your family or expense if you pay cash, you're not shelling out that four to $5,000 for a new furnace system, and you're keeping the one that is a behemoth, 
that's a technical term for the for approximate size. Bohemoth is in the same class with you know uh, millimeters, meters, inches, and that sort of thing. Um, yes, I am making a joke, very dry. That's why I'm not. There's no voice inflection. Um, at any rate, <laughs> uh, so back to the. Uh, and and you know when these things are old. If it looks like it's old, it's old. Don't don't pretend that oh I might be 12 or 15 years old. No, multiply it by four. Um, Williamsons are going to be a really kind of a dark green, metallic looking green. Lux Airs are going to be that deep, rich, almost a royal blue. And then uh, Yorks are going to be more of a puke, tan, yucky, green-yellow mix um, color. And they're going to be all ancient. They're going to have rounded corners. Um, They're all going to look really old. You can tell by the font. Um, So essentially what we tell people is sort of like the Dave Ramsey principle. Definitely have a home emergency fund. Put some money in it every month. Try to save up. If you know a roof is going to cost you 10, 12 grand, then put whatever it takes to get that roof to pay for cash, you know, pay with cash. If a furnace is going to be, let's say, $4,800, okay, I'm just making it a round number for ease of math here, you divide it by 12, and that is uh, $400. So um, if you have, if you can put away, uh, $100 a month for four years, you've got $4,800. You basically have a new furnace. Well, great. So how long, again, is that 66-year-old furnace going to last? I don't know. Um, it, it, it's lasted this long. It could die tomorrow. It could last 10 more years. So having these things serviced and uh, further evaluated before closing so you can get that information from that license or, or qualified HVAC technician is definitely the way to go before closing. Um, so I hope this has been helpful. I will say that on the older furnaces, the filter configurations are a little different. You have to figure those out. This was on a 45 degree angle on the back panel, uh, 20 by 25 inch filter uh, laying you know, on, on that 45 degree angle. Um, make sure you do have the arrow pointing into the furnace because the return air goes into the furnace, into the burn chamber, and is used for making sure that that gas gets ignited and burns properly. So it is an energy inefficient filter, I mean, inefficient furnace, but you could be saving money uh, by not plunking down all that cash all at once until the point in time that you choose to do it. The new furnace that you get is probably going to be about one-third the size of that behemoth one that you will be replacing. Now, getting it out of your house, I don't know. I don't know if they have to cut it up. I've seen plenty of houses where they leave the old one behind. I don't think that's a very nice thing to do because that's just kind of ridiculous. So there might be a disposal fee that they add on to it as well, which makes it a little more pricey because somebody's got to deal with all that metal. They got to cut it apart, probably get those pieces out of there, and that's certainly understandable. All right, this has probably been the most detailed I've gone into a house this age, a house this size, 
But hopefully all these, these tips and information you'll find useful when you're searching for a house and you're trying to budget for the future and you want to take everything into consideration in your purchase. So this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie. And until next time, uh, for the greater Cincinnati area, if you have any questions again, Richard at firstinspections.com. Inspections is plural. And the number one ST, not F-I-R-S-T at the beginning. Thank you for listening. Thank you.